This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. Get this thing going here. Awesome. Glad everybody made it out. All right, so I know y'all are wondering, what am I, what's this thing here? Um, That's right, you know. So this last week, I actually uh, got the chance to go out into the wilderness, uh, literally in Montana, and I was with a group of pastors and um, doing, taking part in something called Refuge, and it was awesome, and one of the one of the things that they took us out on the first day to do is fly fishing. Now, um, I didn't grow up this way, so uh, I'm a city guy. And they took us out into this river, and it was a 12-mile track. So it was about six hours of fly fishing. And you were not allowed to use like, a, like an engine on the boat. So everything was like rowing. And they taught you how to fly fish. Now, I didn't want to bring a fly fishing rod here because... I don't have one, and uh, so I just, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a reason, like I don't want to break something, like let's just be real, I don't have one. Um, so the way this, the, the fly fishing works is if you had a regular fishing rod, you just hold the button down, you just cast it, and the bobber, the weight, or the, um, you know, um, the spark plug, however you grew up, uh, will send it out further, right? Carlos knows what I'm talking about. And... So what you do is it has a little bobber, and uh, we call these bobbers, well, they call them an indicator. And what you do is you just whip it back and forth, just keep whipping it, and then, and then you let line out, and then when you're ready to cast, the line takes the indicator out into the river. And the way you go fly fishing is when you see the indicator go down, you yank that sucker. They call it setting. All right, so once you see it like bob one time, you have to like, Set it hard. Now, that's the easy part. I know it sounds crazy. That's the easy part because this isn't like normal fishing. All right, so once you set the fish, that means that the hooks get inside of the trout, then you have to reel it in. Now, my mistake was that the first time I did it, if you guys go fishing, you get excited, right? And you see it go, and they're like, you got one. You're like, get some, right? Like, <laughs> like this is like bent. And you're just like yelling at the fish, and it's like this big, right? So, but, but here's how fly fishing works, because you cannot do that. The way it works is that you must keep tension on the fish until the fish comes into you, right? So if you give it too much tension, like if you do the whole like, yeah, it's going to, the, the hooks are going to fall out of the fish. It's going to rip out of the fish. If you give it... Like, if you give it way too much slack, then the fish is going to be able to, to swim around and unhook itself. So the whole time you're fishing, it's what they teach you, is that your rod has to be sticking straight up and, and watch the tension. You have to measure the tension. If the fish is running, you pull the line. You let them run. Just let it, let it go. And then once you see the line die down, 
you start reeling it in again. But the whole entire time, you must keep attention on the rod until the fish gets close enough to the boat. And then they take a net and they scoop it up. And then you take a picture with it. And there's all these angles you can show to show that it's bigger than it's not and all that stuff. It's wonderful. Um, so I, I actually hooked about eight fish, eight trout, and not one came in the boat because I was terrible with the tension. Like, it was not for me. I didn't have the patience for it. They're, and they're yelling at me. They're like, Ricky, just keep the tension. And I'm like, shut up. And they're like, <laughs> like go do something else. And, and I'm like, you know, and we're on the same boat together. And they're like, Ricky, your tension. I'm like, your mom. All right, anyways, so, like, it's frustrating me. Like, it's freaking me out. And I'm like, just, just it's too much. <laughs> so I, I didn't get a chance to get, but as I started thinking about, as we continue to talk about, um, the story of Noah and the flood, there's a little bit of tension when it comes to grace here in this story. Because if, if it's just too much grace, then we live our lives thinking that we're off the hook. Like nothing will uh, impact us. I could live however I want to because I'm covered with God's grace. So I could follow Jesus. I could claim to love him and I could claim to do all these things. But my life is not doesn't look like I follow him. Or if we look at grace as too much tension, then we end up falling off because we think that we have to work so hard to stay on the hook. So there is a weird tension when we talk about God's grace and who God is and his mercy and how he reacts in his holiness towards sin. And when we read about this flood... We kind, of, um, we kind of fall into that because a lot of us are like, how in the world can you just like destroy the whole world? Aren't you a loving God? But then some of us are like, well, Ricky, you should have done it sooner. Like you should have just burned it all up. I was like, well, you would have been part of that burned up group. Right? So it's like we have to kind of see what God is trying to teach us when it, when it comes to the ark. So two weeks ago, we looked at why it got to that point. Last week, we looked at building something large, you know, like when God calls us to do something crazy and how obedience is key to that. And today, we're going to look at when the earth actually flooded. How did that happen? What, like what the scriptures say? And there's some crazy stuff in here. So let's go ahead and jump in. Look at verse 1. We're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 7. It's 16 verses. It reads really fast. Um, but there's a lot of great lessons here that we could look at um, from Noah. So I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, then we'll talk, and then we'll read some more and we'll talk, and we'll just do that until we're done. So verse 1 through 5 says this, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found, your righteous, sorry, I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, the one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So let, let me pray for us, and we'll dive in to verse 1. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. 
Lord, we thank you for rest. We thank you because you are faithful to us even when we're not. So, God, I pray that you speak through us through your word, that you help me to um, remember everything that I've studied, Lord, and keep everything in its context, and that you speak through us this morning and we see Christ. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so look at verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. So how do we know Noah was a righteous man? Easy. He did exactly what God commanded him to do. Because if you are with God, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and you are in his righteousness, remember we talked about this in 1 John, habitual righteousness, not habitual sin, then you're going to do exactly what God has asked you to do. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. You could cry. You could ask questions. You could kick and scream. But as long as you do what he's called you to do, you are being faithful to what he's asked you to. And Noah was a righteous man. How do we know he was a righteous man? Because he did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. The ark was crazy, y'all. Like building that ark a century, as massive as this thing was, he still did it because God asked him to. And I just want to say this. You might not, you don't have to understand it, you, it doesn't have to make sense to you in order for you to be obedient. But you have to be obedient to what he's called you to do. And we saw last week, you know, partial obedience is disobedience. So we have to follow the Lord and what he's calling us to. And Noah is a great example of that. Now, here's what's wild. The ark is built now. It's a spectacle. Everybody can see it. We're still living in a world of violence and corruption in those times, but now it's like you have this massive boat. It's never rained. It's never stormed. There's no cold fronts that have come in. Like none of that is here. So now you have this massive box in the middle of the wilderness, and God tells Noah, go ahead and get in the ark. And and then in seven days, it's going to start raining. Bro, it's not even raining yet. And you want me to get in this thing? How crazy am I going to look? Well, how crazy did you look building it for 100 years? So God is telling Noah to do something, and there's some specifics behind it. Look at verse 2. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every, um, I'm sorry, of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, a male and its female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Huh. So on top of all the animals that God is sending to Noah to put into the ark, he's telling him, he's giving him an additional command here. He said seven pairs of a clean animal, seven unclean. Now remember, this was written Genesis chapter 6 and 7. If you want to study the clean and the unclean animals, you have to go to Leviticus chapter 11 to understand what this means. So just real quickly, what are clean animals? You guys might have, you might hear this in other cultures and other um, belief systems. A clean animal are land animals that they chew the cud and have divided hooves. So some examples of clean animals are cattle, deer, goats, sheep. As when we talk about seafood, seafood has to have both fins and scales. So like grouper, cod, bluegill, and then birds. So like chickens, doves, ducks, 
Um, even insects, like grasshoppers, locusts, like those are all considered clean animals. And if you continue to read the Old Testament, God is going to kind of tell his people to focus on clean animals and not unclean animals. And even in Peter, in the book of Acts, Peter gets into an argument about clean versus unclean when it comes to, to food. But God is building something here. He's painting a picture here. And then what are unclean animals? So unclean animals, they don't, they don't really chew the cud. Um, and then they have a split hoof. All right. Um, so pigs, dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, rats. You know, I don't see a lot of people eating those. Maybe pigs. But nobody's like, man, I hope we have rat tonight. <laughs> no. Um, I would say dog, but then I'm like, I heard some stories. All right. So <laughs> then seafood. So unclean seafood, they're lacking fins or scales, such as shellfish, lobster, oysters, catfish, for real, all right? And then birds like owls, hawks, vultures, you know, so these are considered unclean animals, reptiles, amphibians. Now, what God is doing here is that God is giving Noah um, the means to do sacrifices on the ark. Right. So God is like we're walking together, communing together. So I need you to offer a sacrifice while you're on this ark, but not just while you're on the ark. But when all of this goes down and the waters recede, what Noah doesn't know is that God is going to make a covenant with Noah and he's going to ask for a sacrifice. So God is um, he's equipping Noah for this journey, for this trip, and he's giving him the sacrifices that will be needed. And we're going to see that in chapter 8 and 9. All right, so look at verse 4. Then seven days from now I will send rain on the earth, and for 40 days and 40 nights I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And in verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. So he's telling Noah, get on the boat. Go ahead and get on it. And then seven days from now, I'm going to go ahead and it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Why does God tell Noah for seven days from now? Is there a number? Is there a significant number? So there's, there's two trains of thoughts here. One is that it would have taken that much time for God to send all of these animals to him. So that they're already going two by two. God's already sending it. Noah's not Dr. Doolittle. There's no secret to his speech with animals. God is sending it to him. But then after this, he's talking about every bird, and he's talking about it might take that much time. But I believe, too, that this is a picture of God's grace, that God is giving the people seven more days to repent and come to him. It's a picture of his amazing grace. He's already given them 120 years. He's like, man, I'm going to give you seven more days. Now that you see this box, now that you see, isn't there something going on here? Shouldn't you realize what's happening? Shouldn't there be like a connection between what Noah is preaching on righteousness? Animals come into this and this massive 150-yard box. I'm going to give you seven more days, but then my time is going to run out, and that's it. So God is showing us even more grace to those who do not believe in him and those who turned against him. And Noah did exactly what he commanded 
which is incredible to me. Now let's look at verse 6, 7, and 8. It says, Noah was 600 years old when the floods came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds, and all the creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. Man, this is wild. Is there any significance when we talk about his age? Is there any significance when we talk about all these things? So what's wild here is that Noah was 600 years old when all this happened. This isn't the end of Noah's life. He still has a third of his life left. He lives to about 900 years old. Now, some of you are like, how in the world could somebody live that way? That's a whole other sermon. All right, so, but, but what we want to get to is it's showing Noah's age, and then it's going to talk about the, the month and the day, the, the specifics. And then look at verse 7. Verse 7 is so significant for us. I know you can't really see it, but it says, And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. I want you to look at the order of going inside the ark. Because Noah had to take that step of faith and go first. It's Noah, it's his family, and then it's the animals. Noah had to go first. And there's a great lesson for us because Noah, sometimes you cannot wait for other people for you to take a step toward following Jesus. You can't wait for your mom and dad to be cool with it. You can't wait for your abuela to be cool with it. You can't wait. Like, let me just go through college and get my wiggles out in order for me to come to Jesus. It's like, no, you must take that step yourself. And in taking that step yourself, then everyone else around you is going to follow through. At least you pray that they follow through. And what's wild is that Noah didn't understand that God was going to allow him to live through this to see the outcome of him and his obedience and his promises. It's, it's just incredible to me. Noah went first, then his family. So I need to just kind of digress a little bit here because I need to talk to our guys. I need to talk to the men of this church because this is a great lesson for us when we read Noah. Men, you guys are the pace setters of your household. Husbands, dads, you guys set the pace spiritually for your household. You are the spiritual leader of your house. God has ordained that for you, not for your wife, not for grandma, not for grandpa, you And I look at Noah, and Noah could have built this thing, and God could have said, all right, I need you to go in there. And he was like, but God's not even raining yet. He didn't even question it. He went first. And then it says that his sons and his wife and his sons' wife entered the ark after him. Guys, you know, I was thinking about, like, my marriage. Rachel does a lot of things better than I do. <laughs> I felt attacked. I don't know. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest. Like, she's smarter than me. I mean, she, had, she got her bachelor's and master's 
All the while, I was still trying to get my bachelor's. She got two. I just barely got one, right? She's way prettier than I am. Check, all right? I ain't going to argue there. She's way more organized than I am. She's better with numbers than I am. She's better with people. She's better in planning. She's a better listener. She's a better cook. No, don't get crazy. All right, so <laughs> I had to. She makes better reservations than I do. <laughs> and God created Rachel for all of those things. But the one thing that he did not create her for was to be the spiritual leader of our family. That was left for the man. And we look at that in generations. I mean, in, in, in uh, Genesis, Ephesians 6, God has ordained us men to be the spiritual leaders of our household. So regardless of how inadequate we feel when we compare our lives to our wives' lives, I mean, like she blows me out of the water when it comes to education. Regardless of how that makes me feel, regardless of all that stuff, you men, you guys have been ordained by Almighty God to be the spiritual leader of your household and to guide your household in the things of God, and you must go first. And if you don't go first, don't be surprised if your family doesn't follow. You have got to go first. I cannot stress this enough. Like, this is just something that God just put on my heart so much because I keep seeing this brokenness and these broken homes and these broken cycles of sin. And it's like, man, like, if men would just step up and be leaders and, and guide their families well, your family will follow you. And even if they don't know Jesus, you get in that ark first. And you pray to God Almighty that they come with you. And there's, I could quote statistics. I could quote all these things about the importance of male leadership, spiritual leadership in the household. It does not negate Rachel's role. But there's some things that God created women to do that men can't do. And there's certain things that God created men to do that women cannot do. And when those roles are mixed up, there's a little bit of chaos that ensues. We go first, guys. And that is with our lives. We give our lives for our families. We cover our families. If somebody comes in, they're taking me first. I will give my life for my wife and kids. But we also give our lives spiritually as well. We got to go first. Noah is a great example of that. And, after, and then now think about this. And after, verse 10, after seven days, the the floodwaters came to earth. This is nuts. Can you imagine the stress Noah was under? He gets on. The family comes on. All the animals. And think about it. Sunday night. All right, guys, let's get in. But it's not raining yet. There's no cloud in the sky. It's cool. Let's just get in. Tuesday. Wednesday comes around. Here comes Noah's wife. Is it going to rain today? Can I go to the store real fast? No, you're staying here. God said to stay put, stay here. Thursday, Friday comes around. Now here comes the sons. Hey, Dad, um, there's no clouds. I don't think this is it. Are you sure? Can I check my app? Can I check the weather app? Turn your phones off. Stay here. Can we just go stretch our legs? Stay in the ark. 
Saturday comes around. Now the crowds are coming. The, the, the cities are coming around. Now there is a spectacle. They're probably threatening Noah. They're probably making fun of Noah. They're probably, and then all of a sudden, that seventh day hits, and it starts to sprinkle out of nowhere. Oh, snap, it got real. It's all right. It's just a little bit of water. It's just kind of cool. It feels good. It's refreshing. This is great. And it starts raining a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and puddles start to form, and streams start happening. And now all of a sudden it is, ha-ha, Noah, you're crazy to, Noah, get me on this boat. You were right. But look what happens. A lot of us think that the flood was just like, oh, it's just raining outside for 40 days. No, not when you look at verse 11. Look at what verse 11 says. This is crazy. Verse 11 says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, and the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven were opened up. Yo, this was not just some little storm, you guys. And then, it, and then verse 12 says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. I, when I read the Bible, I start asking a lot of questions. So if it's never rained before, if there's never been any storms, then how does vegetation stay green? How's their grass? How do they get food from trees? What, what does the earth look like? So I was kind of doing some research, and, and a lot of scholars um, line up with what some scientists say, that at this time the earth had a, um, a hydro canopy around the globe. There was a canopy of water that encircled the earth at this time. So even though there was no rain, plant life was still able to function. Well, didn't God create the, the oceans and stuff? Do plants drink salt water? No. There has to be something that causes vegetation to thrive and grow. And then they were also saying that's one of the reasons why people were able to live so many years. Because of that water canopy, it would soak up the UV rays from the sun. So there's all this scientific research and proof that happened. And then with that being said, it says that one, on the day all the springs of the great deep birth forth. So it wasn't just rain that hit. There was a, a chain reaction that hit. So that means that the earth, the bottom of the earth, broke open. And streams of water were exploding. So if the earth cracks open, that means that there's magma and there's lava mixed with that water. So that would create mountains and, and that would just cause these humongous explosions. And that water from the bottom of the earth started to flood. And then that caused a chain reaction exploding that water canopy that was around the earth, covering that earth. And then how do we know that? Because as the floodgates of heaven were open. God, the floodgates of heaven, that's not just a, a figure of speech. No, it was the floodgates of heaven. So there's water and explosions and earthquakes. It was a terrifying picture of the flood. It just wasn't like, let's just sing in the rain here. Water was coming from beneath, from the sides, from the top. Water was coming from everywhere. And how do we know this? Show a picture of the... So when I was, when I was also in Montana, we were going through these canyons... We took a um, kind of like a little boat ride. And this is actually one of the second largest canyons. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it's in Fort Smith uh, next to the Grand Canyon. And as we're looking, I've been studying this text, and I look at our guide, and I was like, hey, man, how, how tall do you think that is? 
He's like, that's about 400, 450 feet. You know, like that's how they talk in country. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, I reckon that's about it. And I was like, all right, cool. He goes, but you know what else is cool? He goes, this goes about 400 feet down. And I was like, so if I drop my glasses, that's no good, huh? I was just trying to joke, but he didn't laugh. All right, so <laughs> he just kept on driving, chewing his, his chewing tobacco. But I started thinking, I was like, if you think about the science behind this, if the grounds opened up, if the magnet, everything, how do you think canyons came to be and mountains? Those things had to explode from the ground. Also, I remember when we took um, Rachel's parents to the Grand Canyon, um, in the Grand Canyon, you would see these fossilized skeletons of sea life at the very top of the Grand Canyon. You know, the highest piece of the Grand Canyon is 8,000 feet above sea level. It's called the, um, yeah, it's called the Imperial, I'm sorry, Imperial Entrance in the North Rim. And we saw that, and you could see it. They even, the guides would even point it out. How in the world do you get sea life all the 8,000 feet above sea level? I don't know. Maybe the earth flooded. So all of this stuff is just kind of connecting to me and making sense. But at the same time, it's drawing a terrifying picture of what this flood must have been like. As Noah is inside of the ark, it is raining. Water starting to come out of nowhere. There's explosions. There's probably earthquakes. Water is being dumped from everywhere. And people are screaming in terror. They're screaming. They're drowning. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying experience. And then look at verse 13. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, Sham, Ham, and Jephthah, together with his wife and the wives of his three children, entered the ark. They had them every wild animal according to its kind, all living stock according to their kinds, every creature that moves among the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to, to, to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female, of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, then the Lord shut him in. Y'all, the storm hit. It's coming. The flood waters are here. Seven days are over. And what God is showing us, he's like every single type, clean, unclean, male, female, every single type of animal was in the ark for protection. Y'all, this is a great picture of the cross of Christ. Everyone is welcome to Jesus. Male, female, clean, unclean, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. We see that in Romans chapter 1. Everyone, God is painting this amazing picture to be saved from his wrath due sin. And that's exactly what this flood is, is God's wrath. So I just want to end with just four quick observations and then we'll be out. Four observations. We know the word flooded. And then next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to live through a flood. Life on the boat. See how that goes. What does life look like now that you've obeyed? It's going to be cool. But first, let's deal with this. So number one is the righteous obey God. When I looked at this text, and as the flood waters are coming, and, and God tells Noah, go ahead and get in the boat, even though it's seven days early. God, 
Noah said yes. Verse 5, it says Noah did what God commanded. Verse 8, it says as God had commanded Noah, he does it. We saw it last week. It kept saying Noah did what God commanded. I want you to understand that the righteous are the ones who obey God, not the ones who behave the best. I'm so glad you stopped cussing. I'm so glad you got rid of your addiction. But are you following Jesus? What are you doing? Are you focused on the Savior or are you focused on your behavior? Behavior modification is hard work. And if you focus on being good and not cussing anymore and not sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend, if you focus on all of those things, it's going to run you dry. It's going to wear you out. What, what, what the scriptures are saying is like, listen, the righteous obey God. How do I know I belong to Jesus? I obey him. Jesus even talked about this in 1 John. Those who know me, those who belong to me, obey my commands. So there is something about obedience to what God is calling us to do. It's not something you control. It's something that you focus on. And your focus must be on Christ and his goodness and his grace and his mercy. But also, you better repent So in order for him to forgive you, you need to confess to him. And you need to surrender your life to whatever God's calling you to. And the first thing you need to do is say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I'm putting my faith in you. That's the biggest piece of this. The righteous obey God. Will you struggle? Yes. Will you fail? Yes. But you will obey. And God is calling us to that. Noah always obeyed. And you're going to see at the end of the story of Noah, Noah fails big time. He ends up drunk butt naked. And you'll see that in chapter 9. But he still obeyed the Lord. So we got to make sure. Number two, even if it's not raining, you better get in. Even if it's not raining, you better get in. See, a lot of us... Sometimes in our lives, we wait till we hit rock bottom to realize that we need a relationship with Christ. We wait for our college days to be over. We wait till our relationship's done. We wait, we wait, we wait. And it's usually people that show up when it's raining in their lives. But I'm here to tell you, you just get in. Don't wait to the point where your life has just been destroyed to come to Jesus. Get in right now. Take that first step. Don't wait till you hit rock bottom. Get to know Christ immediately. Because to be honest with you, I know like a lot of us in this story, the flood was actually worse than we expected. It wasn't just rain. And then after 40 days, everybody drowned. No, it was terrifying. It was like earthquakes, explosions, like lava everywhere. People were dying. Nobody knew how to swim. People are like looking for dear life. Rose still didn't let Jack on the door from last week. It was bad. And listen, I know some of us think, you know, it's not. Well, I want to also tell you God's wrath is worse than you think it is. It's worse than it's worse than expected. And when your life ends and when it's time When your time is up, you're going to be looking 
for a savior and salvation, and it's going to be too late because God would have shut in the righteous already. So it's a scary thought, but get in. Don't wait till it's starting to rain. The number three, God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide the sacrifice. I love that Noah mentioned in this text that God told him to bring in the clean and unclean animals. God is providing for Noah as we speak. God is preparing for the future of Noah. You know the great thing about obedience is that if God allows you to, nobody ever like sees the output of the obedience. We always kind of see the struggle. And I was like thinking about this in my life as well. Because there was a college kid that was a knucklehead. And because there was a college minister named Gary Stidham who was obedient to God's calling on his life, discipled this knucklehead college student for years and years and years and years. And now Gary was able to preach at that knucklehead's church. That was in 2003, 2004. This is 10 years later that we're starting to see the fruit of God's faithfulness and his obedience and his promise. God will provide the sacrifice. There's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you have to earn for God. He provides everything. And all you have to do is stay faithful. And if willing, God will allow you to experience the fruit of your faithfulness. And if not willing, then you'll get to go home and be with him. And everything else will take care of itself. Man, that is great. And remember, it says that God shut him in. Noah did not have ropes tied to the door. Like after they built this massive ark, they're probably thinking, how are we going to close this thing? Like y'all going to get out and push? This thing is huge. No, no, no. It was the hand of God that closed this door. It says that God is the one who shut them in. And listen, God is the one that will provide for you. And like he provided us, like he provided the sacrifice to please so he could see us as pleasing. And that's with Jesus. And then the last thing, and we'll close with this. God will be faithful to his promises. I think sometimes we forget that God is faithful to what he's promised you and to promise that he's given us. I just want to say when God says something, it happens. He said he's going to flood the world. Guess what happened? The world flooded. He said he's going to save us. Guess what happened? We're saved. But something I want to remind us of is that his promises are unlocked with our obedience, not our behaviors. You know, I got to spend all day with Livy yesterday. I had about three Red Bulls, and the girl had some energy. And um, Elena and Rage were like at a football game. It should have been switched roles, but whatever. We're not talking about that. All right. But I got to spend all day with Livy. And um, yesterday, I went to our friend Pastor Ralph Emerson's um, installation. He's, a, he's at a church now with his dad. And I told Livy, I was like, Livy, I just need you to behave. I, I need you to be quiet. This is, a, this is kind of important. And she said, all right. And I was like, if you got to look at pictures on my phone, I'll give you my phone. You can look at pictures. If you need to draw, whatever it takes. 
Because it was like an hour and a half. And for a four, five, a five-year-old, that's a long time. That's a long time for some of y'all. But Livy did awesome. She behaved. It was loud. There was a lot of praying. There was a lot of talking. Didn't have one problem with Livy at all. She didn't even complain one time. She even say, I'm ready to go home. So when we left, I told Livy, I said, Livy, I'm so proud of you. You did so good. So you're going to get a reward today. So we're going to go to Target. I'm going to let you pick out. Of course, you know, there's a little budget here. But I'm going to let you pick out a toy because you did so good. Dad is so proud of you. You did so good. And she was so excited. And it was funny. She got what she wanted. We went home. We played the rest of the day. And then she looks at me, and she's like, Dada, today was the bestest day ever. It was so much fun. Can Mama and Elena go away for three hours so I get another prize? That's what she, I, I'm not making this up. And I was, like, I was like, baby, that's not how it works, but, you know, just remember. And I told her, I was like, you see, Livy, when, when you obey Dada, there's rewards there. And I started thinking, you see, Livy didn't get the reward because of her behavior. She didn't get the reward because she was quiet. And, and no, she got the reward because she obeyed her father. That's where it comes from. And I was thinking, I was like, man, like Noah, he obeyed God's commands constantly. And God allowed him to see this thing through and his family was saved for it. It wasn't because of how he behaved. It was all about his obedience to God. And listen, if you want to experience God's faithfulness and you want to see his promises come through in your life, it has nothing to do of how good I act and how many times I go to church. No, it has everything to do with obeying your father. Obey him. God operates on promises. And obedience un unlocks those promises so that way you're able to experience the reward, which is Christ. Jesus is our reward. Everything else is icing on the cake. But Jesus is who we thrive to know and thrive to make known. And when you get to know him and you get to obey him, you get to live it, you start seeing kingdom outputs and outcomes in your life because that's our reward. Let me pray for us. Father, I love you, and we thank you so much for this amazing story of how you decided to pour your wrath on this earth because of our sinful nature. But Noah, because he was a righteous man amongst this generation, you decided to use him, Father. And because of his obedience, his sons were saved, his families were saved. And he was able to experience some amazing things. But the most important outcome of his obedience was the lineage that led to a Savior, Father. So, Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for the flood that we're able to look at that and say never again. And, Lord, help us to come to the cross for salvation. So, Jesus, we thank you. And, Lord, I pray that you help us to be obedient to you. Amen. Let's worship.